the true heir to Avengers Endgame, WandaVision dives into the consequences and the politics of a world fractured by the blip. Are you just watching? Episode 114, WandaVision, Part 1. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And today we are going back in time? No. Forward in time? No. No. <laughs> Sideways in time? <laughs> it's an interesting uh, take because when you first tune in to watch One Division, it's in black and white and in full screen, no less. And you feel like you've gone back in time, but we haven't. It's all very chaotic. <laughs> WandaVision is a series that was created by Marvel for Disney Plus. So mm. if you haven't got Disney Plus, you haven't seen it. That's the only way you can watch it. And it's nine episodes, all directed by Matt Shackman. And it has music in it that is composed by Christoph Beck. The music that I am referring to, which is called Wanda's Theme, comes in at the end during the credits, which Fascinatingly enough, they actually make you watch all the credits on WandaVision. Sneaky devils. I know. Well, of course, if you were watching it from the first episode as they were released, they were only released one episode at a time. But if you binged it where there were multiple episodes, it would literally play the whole thing all the way down to them flashing the, you know, those last minute all languages until it came to the very end before it would start the next one, which usually... <laughs> It starts the next one when it starts the credits instead of goes all the way to the end. So they wanted to make sure that you got all of the credits. Not only that, but they changed whether they would put... Um, Teasers in them or not. Yeah, <laughs> mid-credit or end-credit sequences in. I want to say I watched the first three episodes and then decided, okay, they're not doing it in this one. And then like an episode or two later, oh, darn it, they yeah. put it in and I missed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they started throwing them in. And even the very last one, if you haven't made it all the way to the end yet, I will warn you that we are not going to guard against spoilers in this episode. <laughs> it's so, so hard to. Yeah, it, it would be hard to discuss this TV series. It's not, I guess, streaming series would be a better way to call it. Yeah. It would be difficult to discuss this streaming series if we did not talk about the end because it so heavily influences what's going on at the beginning so we may destroy the climax if you haven't watched the whole thing but i do think that it is a valuable conversation so if you want to watch the whole thing before you listen to this do come back and listen to our episode because we want you to yeah <laughs> And it is worth watching the whole thing. The themes that this series dives into are really, you know, pretty deep for yeah. the the campy feel that it has at the beginning of the series. Yeah. And it's not all superhero stuff either. I mean, usually exactly. we get so sick and tired of doing the same superhero themes every time we talk about anything DC or Marvel. But I think on in this instance, we have different stuff to discuss, which is kind of fun. <laughs> Before we dive right in, let me play a little bit of that music. Ah, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. 
mood has been set. And it's interesting that, you know, we've gone through all of these Marvel movies, you know, the first, what was it, 20 movies with Infinity War through Endgame? Uh, I, mean, I thought it was like to closer to 200. <laughs> That's probably what it felt like. And I don't think Wanda ever had a theme. So now she has her own theme, which is cool. Mm. I have to say, I was rather impressed with the quality of this series. I know it's Disney Plus, and I know that Marvel is marketing to not to the streaming service as well as to their movies now, and that from here on going forward, the whole concept of the MCU is going to work seamlessly between the streaming service and the movies that are theatrically released. So I think it's going to hurt those who do not have Disney plus and are big Marvel fans because they are going to miss out on stuff that is integral to the storyline. Yeah. They really have gone whole hog on it because now if you want to see the entire puzzle, you've got to invest yeah. In both Disney Plus and go see the movies. If you don't, right. you're going to be missing important pieces and not be able to put it all together. Yeah, the puzzle will be missing a lot of pieces if you're not keeping up with the streaming as well as watching the movies. And in the past, that wasn't as much the case because the TV properties were devoid of any MCU, I guess, hierarchy. They existed, but they they didn't like plug in holes that were going on in the movies. It was like they were in separate parts of the MCU that didn't interact. But I think they're changing that going forward. Yeah. And and I will have to say, because I think I mentioned it in our group, but I'm real excited to see that they are thinking about some of the TV properties of the past and possibly reintroducing them in the upcoming movies. I I hope we're not setting ourselves up for disappointment. Yeah. (laughs) Having Charlie Cox and Spider-Man No Way Way Home, yeah, that that would just be perfect for me. But, oh. Rumor has it that he actually did record something. But whether whether it is a daredevil something, nobody knows. There's a lot of speculation. The way they do Easter eggs now in the Marvel properties, it could just be him literally walking Walking by. by. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. But that would be enough for me. I'll stand up in the theater and go, hey, Daredevil. (laughs) Or Matthew Murdoch, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. But the speculation on that is that he is possibly going to come forward as public defender for Peter. But I don't know whether Peter would need a public defender because, I mean, he did kind of inherit a good bit of Tony Stark's stuff. So I don't know whether he would have to fall back on. There is a storyline from the comic books where Peter Parker's secret identity is outed and he gets sued, the crap suit out of him. Yeah. You know, like you said, Matt Murdock is a lawyer. steps in to, as <laughs> yeah. his lawyer. But in that same storyline, he actually ends up going to Stephen Strange for a magical resolution. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of feel like that's all going to tie into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Is that the name of it? Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because the way Marvel has been going is they... They typically do nods to the comic book storylines, but they never follow them exactly. So yeah, exactly. yeah, we can get ideas. I mean, like even with the third season of Daredevil, 
it was a big nod to an actual existing comic series for Daredevil, but it departed from it in many ways. So uh, there was enough in there for people to go, oh, I saw that in a comic book. But the storyline <laughs> was different. they changed something key. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. who dies. <laughs> yeah. So there's differences and there's enough similarities for you to go, oh, I saw that. But then it doesn't turn out to be key to the storyline. So I think that we'll be happy to see whatever happens. So I'm excited about the fact that Charlie Cox will appear in the movie. What he appears as, it doesn't really matter. I'm just happy <laughs> exactly. that he's going to appear in the movie. So that aside, I think going forward, we're going to see more of that. And I think it's part of that is because Disney and Marvel have consolidated their holdings with within the realm of politics, you know, the politics of it. And I know that Spider-Man is still iffy because they had to do like ne some serious negotiations to come out with a third movie because Sony was drag dragging their rights back. But I think that they must have worked that out. And hopefully going forward, we don't see Spider-Man disappear. But then again, it might very well be with knowing they're going to lose Spider-Man that they're going to work Daredevil back in. I don't know. We'll just, I guess, have to see what ends up happening. But yeah. that is neither here nor there, because we're talking about WandaVision. <laughs> I just had to go a little fangirl, because I just adore Charlie Cox's Daredevil, so I'm... It's sort of hard to talk about anything MCU now without needing to branch out into the other properties, right? Right, Because yeah. they're they're doing so much that, that ties Overlaps. in, and I know we're going to talk mm -hmm. about that further on, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. So... My initial point that I was trying to make and then sidetracked myself was that this was a very high quality. Uh, it, it felt like a mini series of movie quality rather than a TV series because it had all of the special effects. It had all of the, the great acting and cinematography and the big name actors. So we're not waiting for you know, the movies for these actors to come forward again. They're actually in a series, which is really cool. And the whole thing was beautiful. I appreciated the storytelling. I appreciated the way they, they hid things from you, but yet revealed them at the same time so that if you have watched it all the way through and you know how it ends, and then you go back and rewatch it, you catch all of the nuances of the story that, bring you to the climax that you overlooked because they weren't important when you saw them the first time. Mm -hmm. and or you didn't know they were important. You didn't know they were important, but they were all there. So it was like they were all pieces to the puzzle. And they just did that so beautifully. And I I think it was just extremely well done. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's a series you can watch over and over and over again. It's not one of those where it's one and done. You've watched it and you go, oh, I saw it. I know how it ends. No need yeah. to see it again. I think the rewatchability is at least in part tied to how invested you are in the MCU. Yeah. If you've watched all of phases one, two, and three, I think you could probably watch the entire WandaVision series half a dozen times and still be picking up new stuff each time you watch it. Yeah. Stuff that you missed or, you know, potential Easter eggs, like the, the title of the movie at the movie theater when they're in town square or something like that. Yeah. And it's so amazing that they even managed to give a nod to the X-Men universe, which to up until this point has been 
completely divorced from the Marvel holdings, the whole MCU. And it was an, only a nod. <laughs> but here's the thing. They used it like a fish hook, you know, with the, the little barb yeah. on the end. Because <laughs> we know the title of the next Doctor Strange movie. And they've hinted at the existence of the multiverses in Spider-Man Far From Home. Right. So by bringing in the Quicksilver actor from the X-Men, X-Men. universe right. to the WandaVision, they're like they're, – they're just yanking on that hook and sinking it in deeper. We said spoilers are, are yes. fair game, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and then at the end, <laughs> you find out it's just a plain old guy. Yeah. He's not some superhero or anything. He's literally been bewitched. <laughs> oh, can I, am I allowed to say that? Is that like a trademark? <laughs> Even more crossover. <laughs> well, actually, that uh, no, because they, they did homage to Bewitched yeah. in, in WandaVision. But the fact that he looks exactly like X-Men's Quicksilver, I'm still convinced we're going to find out is no accident. Oh, that yeah. That people exist in multiple universes, you know, multiverses in slightly different variations, yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, and that's the thing is that the Quicksilver that's in the X-Men universe is not related to Wanda Maximoff. Mm -hmm. He's a totally different character. The X-Men universe has never even mentioned the Avengers, has it? No. Not even Deadpool? No. Huh. Or I wonder if it's mentioned, but no, I don't think it's mentioned Spider-Man either. Because Deadpool in the comic book has, you know, it, it crosses over to everything. <laughs> yeah. But he interferes with Spider-Man and the Avengers more often than probably even X-Men. Huh. It never occurred to me. Yeah. I haven't watched Deadpool. That was one of the ones I didn't watch because it was rated R. Yeah. So I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds really does embrace that R rating, too. <laughs> Yeah, so there is some crossover and some nods, and as I think you were you were wanting to point out, a ton of Easter eggs. So it's one oh. of those, it's a very rewarding series to watch for any Marvel fan. It, it, even if I had some people tell me that they weren't watching WandaVision because the movie where Wanda joins the MCU, which was Avengers... Age of Ultron, Age of Ultron. was at yeah. the end of Age of Ultron, you know, she made the commitment. Yeah, well, she she joined the Avengers there, but she joined the MCU at that movie. I mean, she became a character oh, yeah, in that that's movie. True. Yeah, they that was their least favorite movie. No, wait that, a minute. Elizabeth Olsen was in one of the after teaser scenes, but just for you know thirty seconds, if that. Yeah. Well, she was introduced, though. I mean, her character right. yeah, was yeah. introduced I'm just being picky. in Yeah, Age of Ultron, and that was a movie that is probably has the least following of the Avenger movies. It's like a lot of people just didn't care for that movie. And I know some people that <laughs> the couldn't sequel even curse. finish it. Yeah. So it was not some people's favorite movies. And so a lot of them, at least one of the, my friends mentioned that she was not really jumping on watching WandaVision because she never made it through Age of Ultron. And so she didn't really understand the whole Wanda and Vision thing. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I was like, I think you can watch this and, and get and understand it without having seen those movies, because Wanda is really introduced as her own character, which she was always kind of like a, despite her level of power, she was really kind of a sidelined character in the movies. Yeah. 
which is, it's kind of weird because they actually mentioned somewhere, I can't remember which episode it is, but they mentioned somewhere that she actually had the power to take on Thanos. Thanos alone. Yeah. 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 I want to say that it was intentional that, you know, they Part, they were saving her for phase four. Yeah. It could be. But I, I might be giving them too much credit. <laughs> they just had so many characters to work with. So. Yeah. I, I really feel like with all the long-running series, the Harry Potter book series that became the movies, the Star Wars universe, uh-huh. I feel like there's this master, probably call it the series Bible or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, in phases one through three, it said, Wanda Maximoff, don't go too deep. <laughs> <laughs> or Wanda Maximoff, we'll get to that. Yeah. Well... I don't know. I mean, if they do have such a series Bible, it's definitely under lock and key and only oh, key yeah. people get to see it. The, so. Like the Coca-Cola and Kentucky Fried Chicken recipes. <laughs> One thing I did want to say was I really appreciated the attention to detail that the the set design and costume design, mm-hmm. the overall production design team did on this series. This wasn't actually supposed to be the first MCU series to hit. Disney Plus, it was supposed to be Falcon and the Winter Soldier first. Mm-hmm. But, could, you know, then COVID hit and uh, everything that got mixed around. They ended up moving WandaVision first. And I think that was the perfect change because I think this is a better introduction of the MCU to this episodic content right. than Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be. Well, the way it opened, where you just really had no clue what was going on. You're like, why am I watching a 50s sitcom? I don't understand. In that first episode, did they even acknowledge the people outside the... No, it wasn't until, see, episode four was, well, episode four was the first one you saw where it started outside of her reality. I want to say in three, there was like a post teaser. I don't think so. The the teaser was the the red. Well, no, that was in C, C, episode two. Was the red uh, helicopter? Oh yeah, that's right. That, was that, that she in found the in the bushes. And then episode three was the one where they started talking to her through the radio, and you knew something was off was going mm-hmm. on, but you didn't find out what that was. I think maybe you were right where you saw somebody looking watching it on a TV. Yeah. And that was over somebody's shoulder. And that was the T. Te- but until episode four, you really had no clue what was going on outside of her television content. And, you know, what, watching those first four episodes, you were watching them and going, hey, aren't those the stairs from the Brady house? <laughs> or, hey, that opening is just like the Dick Van Dyke show. <laughs> well, if you're old enough to have seen any of those, you're doing that. But, uh yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> or you know, you happen to like the TV Land stuff or <laughs> TV Land Channel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I rewatched it the second time, I was trying to kind of pay attention and look for anachronisms because typically when you record something that you're trying to set in a period, there's anachronisms. You know, like yeah. the wrong kind of antennas or whatever. Starbucks cup. Yeah, I didn't catch any, but that I'm, my attention to the little things is probably not as good as some people, because I know some people can really find them when they 
pay attention, but mm-hmm. nothing major stood out to me as like breaking the reality that she was in. So I think they did that really well. And, you know, the fact that it stayed full screen while you were watching it, which yeah. is when you're on a widescreen TV is, is kind the of... The aspect ratios yeah. of the, the video, they even controlled that to, to right. make it feel authentic. Authentic, yeah. It was, they, they really did a, a really good job with it. And the only thing that was not authentic about it was the the picture quality. Oh, good point. Yeah, nobody had to be adjusting the rabbit ears. <laughs> Well, that analog TV was just not as crystal clear as digital. So they had much better picture quality in these older sitcom feels Mm -hmm. than actually existed back then. (laughs) I thought this was a really good segue from the big screen to... The small, small screen. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we can't really call them the, the small screens anymore, but... I guess not when people are buying 72 and 84 inch TVs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at church, we're doing the live stream thing like so many churches out there. Mm-hmm. And because of occupancy restrictions, we have set up overflow seating in our fellowship hall, which is, a, you know, the, the hall that has the, the carpet but doubles as a gym type thing. And I've been working on a projector screen for that room and i realized that we're doing a 200 inch projection (laughs) that's practically movie theater size now how did we get to this yeah just yeah and you know people wouldn't bat an inch of uh, at that uh in many home theater environments nowadays so Anyway, get off that rabbit trail. Sorry. (laughs) Well, I think that pretty much covers our going all fangirl and boy over the (laughs) awesomeness of Marvel in producing for the streaming service. So I want to introduce, it's not really a theme. The first thing I want to talk about is it's more of rewinding back to the end of Avengers Endgame. And some of the discussions, because we did an episode on Endgame and some of the things that came up when we were discussing Endgame, I think really come in seamlessly. I really feel like this particular series was a terrific sequel to Endgame, even more so than Mm Spider-Man Far From Home. And like you said, I think it's better that it came first from Winter Soldier because of that, because so much of what happens in WandaVision is a direct result of the blip. And because the blip happened in, you know, the fact that there was that five-year gap. So I wanted to go back and discuss that just a little bit, because I really feel like WandaVision was set up, you know, the whole concept of Wanda dealing with her grief in the way that she did was a direct result of Tony Stark's actions in Endgame. And because of what he did, an entire town suffered. And I'm not saying that Wanda was not complicit in what she did, but it was unconscious. And she corrected it when she was finally brought to terms with what she did. She at least attempted to correct it. But I think that not only the tragedy of what happens with her, 
but also the tragedy that happens with Monica. And those are just two representative stories that are probably blown into billions across the entire world Yeah. by the fact that you made half the population disappear at the Infinity War. And then Tony Stark, for selfish reasons, decides that he wants to bring all of those people back five years later so that he can keep his family. And we understood when we discussed Endgame, we brought this up because we were like, we understood his reasoning and why everybody else caved to his reasoning. You know, he had a a wife, he had a gorgeous daughter. He didn't want to lose that. And he was afraid that if we rewound and brought everybody back the second after they left and we had to relive those five years, that he wouldn't get that same family, that he would lose it. I do want to point out that they made it a point to make sure the audience felt that, too. Yeah. With the with the focus on the scenes with Tony and his daughter. I mean, you couldn't come away from those scenes without feeling, oh, yeah. like puppy and kitten happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they bring you WandaVision, where in episode four, it starts out with the the blip return like the end of the blip i don't know how you would even say that where all of these people are just coming out of dust into existence in the middle of wherever they were when they disappeared the unsnap yeah (laughs) wherever they were when they were blipped which created a great deal of chaos because five years has gone by the world has readjusted to the fact that half the population is gone. The infrastructure has has adapted. And then you hear a doctor walking down because Monica reappears in the room where she was sitting with her mom who had just undergone a procedure at the hospital. And she reappears thinking that she just drifted off and her mom is not there anymore. And she Mm -hmm. goes wandering through the hallways going, where's my mom? Where's my mom? Not really realizing that five years has passed and that her mom had died years before. So you you get this from the perspective of a person who has returned. And they did this on purpose because Wanda was such a person. She was one of the ones that blipped. Right. So for her, no time passed. She probably reappeared on the border of Wakanda, along with the king and, you know, the other members of the Avengers that were there and participated. Just like Monica appears in the hospital not knowing what happened to her mom, Wanda appears knowing that Vision is dead and he's not there. And his body's not there, He's and she has no concept of the passage of time. And all of this happens. This, these are just two stories that are represented by gobs and gobs and gobs of people across, you know, families that were split, Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe husband and wife who lost five years, you know, the husband stayed and the wife disappeared, or vice versa, or uh, children that were raised by someone else because their parents disappeared. Or in the case of Peter Parker and his aunt, both of them went. So they both got to come back together. Um, that kind of raises the question is, would if Peter have re- reappeared back on that planet where he disappeared and how did he get back to Earth? That's actually an interesting question because Doctor Strange then... Would have been back there with him. Yeah. Uh, he gathered up all the heroes who had snapped, who had been snapped out, right? 
for yeah. the final battle of Endgame. <laughs> so yeah. Wanda Wanda goes to this final battle. She probably was expecting to find Vision at the final battle. She knew Vision was dead because she saw. Oh yeah, that's right. She, yeah, she, she saw did. Thanos take the the stone from exactly. Him, so you're she, you're right. So she would have known he was dead before she blipped. But still, I mean, my whole point in all of this is that because of Tony Stark's decision to wait five years to bring everybody back, all of these relationships, all of the infrastructure, the world, everything was affected by that decision. And WandaVision really brings that home. The whole point of the series is this is what happened. This is one person's tragedy and it affects so many people because of Tony Stark's decision. It's it's an influence that is unescapable. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had mentioned when we when we were talking about Spider-Man Far From Home, the fact that they just kind of glossed over, you know, the whole return. It was like they they made the comment that all the kids had to retake their school year, but all the world seemed to be fine. You know, there were no infrastructure yeah. problems. In an end game, we were seeing a world that was in chaos because you know ships that were just abandoned and and you know it just the it meant you know it it showed him yeah. going down streets that were just piled with garbage and junk. Right. So we get this concept of the you know the world was in chaos, but then in Spider Man everything was back to the same. Like there, were, I I was like I'm not sure they thought that through. You know that it would take probably at least a year, if not two years, for the world to start operating, you know, back to even close to norm. And they would be having a hard time feeding everybody because of the whole, you know, they would have adjusted food sources, yeah. you know, for half the population. And and I think that WandaVision does a better job of, while it still looks like there's no infrastructure issues because, you know, they show them driving down roads that are fine and going into towns that are fine and people are going along their merry ways. At least episode four shows you some of the damage, you know, from, yeah. from a relationship standpoint. And it touches on the psychological damage, too. And and Far From Home only briefly touched on that, too. I yeah. think there's a whole world of stories you know, to mine in that. Yeah. But. Yeah. Which they probably won't have to, or they won't have a desire to linger on that. Right. Because they're more concentrated on the superheroes and there aren't as many of them. But when you think about the millions and billions of people, that's why I can't, I don't even know what the world population is right now, but it would have been half of that. I think it's at 7 billion. Yeah, you know, at least 3 billion people just vanishing and then five years later coming back. I mean, that just... Yeah. I don't think that they have ever properly dealt with that. <laughs> and and they made a comment, like, when Monica goes back to work that, you know, she was the first one to report. That it had been, like, three weeks and she was the first one to report back to work of the vanished personnel. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like people weren't quite ready to resume life, you know, because everything was so devastated. Yeah. And I just keep circling back in my mind, you know, Tony was so selfish. He, he just, he wanted his little family and he wasn't willing to even comprehend what kind of damage he was doing to all the other families in the world, <laughs> you know? 
I, I definitely see where you're coming from, but I'm sort of on Tony's side on this one. If you mm. can have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> I, I could see why he wanted to do it. But yeah. if you sit down and give it any thought at all, you're going to see that that just cannot work. Yeah. And with the amount of thought that this guy gives to probably what he orders for breakfast, it, it's sort of hard to believe that he wouldn't have considered that part. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, just from an infrastructure standpoint, it was a nightmare. But then you add into that the broken relationships, the torn apart families. And, you know, what happens in WandaVision where you have one particularly very powerful superhero comes becomes unhinged and destabilized because... Mm -hmm of what happened and it could have been dealt with better. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and I looked up a Bible verse, which I think our passage really two verses that I think really fit to what Tony's decision did. It's Philippians two, three through four. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. And it's a good reminder as Christians, because we are human and selfishness, I think, is in our DNA. Mm -hmm. We're all selfish. We all think about ourselves first. And that's what Tony did. He thought of himself first. He didn't think about, you know, the three other billion people or eight billion people in the world. Look at his character. I mean, conceit would be at the very top of his personality traits. <laughs> yeah, and arrogance. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's just a good reminder for us as Christians is a lot of times we have no clue what our selfishness, you know, just we, we don't think it will impact anyone else. We're just thinking, you know, I want that. And it seems like such a simple thing to want that. I'm I'm going to take do what it's necessary to preserve that for myself and we don't look at how that might impact the interests of others. Yeah. And we're ordered, we're actually asked to in scripture to set aside our own interests and look for what benefits others first. And so it's, it is a different way of looking and it takes work because <laughs> we are all selfish. It just goes to show how hard it is to, you know, abide by the, the two commandments, the two greatest <laughs> commandments. Put God first and your neighbor's second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yourself way down the list. <laughs> I did see an interesting anachronism in one of the episodes, uh, I think it was episode seven, one of the scientists, Darcy, is forced to fill in some gaps for vision because he has no <laughs> some memory. Gaps. That's a very <laughs> polite way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. And she goes into just basically describing the end of Infinity War like it was a movie that she watched. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, um, wait a minute. From being within in the MCU, that would have been history, not a movie you watched. Yeah. <laughs> so her ability to know everything that happened, you know, in Wakanda, the border of Wakanda, including a a iteration of probably what five to six, five to ten minutes of time. Yeah, <laughs> she describes it just like she watched it, like she yeah. sat down and watched the movie. And exactly like, like the audience saw it. Yes, and I'm like, uh, being Darcy inside the MCU, being uh, I don't know whether she was bl uh, blipped personnel or not. Kind of guessing she probably wasn't, so she yeah. probably 
was there for all of that five years, but somehow or another, her access to the information of what happened on the border of Wakanda right before the blip seems wrong somehow. I, like, I think <laughs> she shouldn't the, have access to that information. I think the yada yada way of explaining this would be that there were other people involved in the fight with Thanos. So, for example, we know that Steve Rogers was just off screen when Wanda destroyed the Mind Stone. Right. And then uh, Thanos used the Time Stone to reverse time and then <laughs> took the Mind Stone. So, you know, there were witness accounts that could explain how that entire thing went down. But still, I think it was probably a creative choice to provide this exposition from the frame of the audience's understanding rather than from the frame of the people who were involved with the fight Yeah, for Thanos. Yeah, and how much of that would have been common knowledge, even if Steve Rogers retained the information of what happened before time was reversed, because theoretically everything was reversed during that time. I would time, still so argue he that he could have, but yeah. But even if he had seen it and reported on it, that still probably would have been not common knowledge. It would have been yeah. top secret or... <laughs> everything that man does is top secret. Yeah. I just think that it was a major anachronism, maybe purposeful. I, I won't go against it being purposeful because they needed to fill in those details for... Knowing the, the MCU, they might make this an Easter egg. Yeah. Uh, they just wanted it somehow to maybe inform the viewers as well, you know, just to kind of recap in case they hadn't watched Infinity War, maybe, to kind of fill in those holes for Vision and what happened to Vision. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, when I, it didn't bug me the first time I watched it, but when I watched it the second time and she goes off into this explanation of what happened at the end of an Infinity War, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, how does she know all of that? <laughs> So it really stuck out to me the second time I watched it. You know, maybe the folks in the, the Facebook group would like to comment on this. The reason I think that Rogers could have seen the whole thing is because I think that uh, when you go back to the Doctor Strange movie, there's a scene where he's messing with an apple using the Time Stone, right? He, and he speeds time up and, and reverses it and slows it. So you see the apple go from yeah. whole to decomposed, back to whole to, I think, has a bite out of it or something like that. But it, it is only within the, the sphere right. of the apple. So I think that's – I think the sphere that, that Thanos created, it was just around Vision. It didn't even include Wanda. And it might even right. – could have been just around Vision's head. I don't know if that would have worked. <laughs> it sounds uncomfortable either way. Yeah. So, you know, watching from the outside like Doctor Strange was in the first movie would have been like Rogers was watching from the outside to what Thanos did. Yeah. I don't know. I could sort of see that. Yeah, a very localized effect, I think, is, is what it was. But it's still, uh, from a standpoint of Darcy knowing what happened. Right. There, How did she know? Like, it's <laughs> Yeah. So and and she made this whole point, you know, when they when they were first all setting up their camp outside of Wanda's force field, that she was, you know, brought in really not 
being informed of things. So I, she w- never struck me as being somebody who was high up in the know kind of thing. Yeah. And so, well, she must have I been involved at some level because she was in, you know, the first two Thor movies. Yeah. You know, by sheer circumstance of events, she had to be read in on a certain level. I mean, she knows she knows Thor and and the warriors. Yeah. But I don't recall her ever being an agent, you know, assigned to shield or being identified as a player in the MCU power structures. Yeah, I don't know. It just it seemed like it was an anachronistic, but we don't we yeah. don't want to beat that horse anymore, so we can move on. I just wanted to point it out. So the next thing I wanted to discuss was the politics of Marvel because Marvel is a Disney company, so it is political. And <laughs> we actually, I think, discussed it in our last episode where, you know, they've been making some changes. You know, they fired the actress that was in Mandalorian uh, because of her conservative views that she had been public about and that kind of stuff. So Marvel and Disney are political and they are very much on the left of politics. So you would expect them to be making statements within the context of their storytelling that would either support or uphold or at least expose their politics. And so in this movie, one of the things I found interesting was the the way they define terrorist because Hayward is, and I have to kind of set the stage for this. Hayward is over the sword organization right. and it, it appears that he took over directorship over that organization during the blip when uh, Monica's mother passed away. She was over it until then. Mm-hmm. And so we don't really know much about him going into this other than he's in control but he immediately jumps on this whole bandwagon of calling Wanda a terrorist because she's holding a, a whole town captive hostage, though she's not made no demands. I mean, she's just wants to be left alone, really. That's her only demand. And Monica disagrees with him. She brings up the fact that Wanda has not done anything through premeditated aggression. And so I I was kind of intrigued by the fact that they they're actually trying to define terrorism as i guess somebody who is harming people for political reasons or for a premeditated reason and yeah. i feel like they were using terrorist as a label of convenience yeah and i think that is ref- an accurate reflection of today's politics across the spectrum where right. terrorism you know on September 11th of 2001, we all learned what a, an actual terrorist was. Right. And it had a very clearly defined motive, you know, for the people behind terrorism. But the further we get from September 11th, I feel like the further, the more people sort of uh, appropriate that word to define their own personal enemies. Right. Yeah. It's like the word racist. It's like it's easy to abuse and misuse. And in this instance, they they called it out that he was misusing the term terrorist because Wanda was not a terrorist. She was not hurting people on purpose. So Mm -hmm. 
when the whole story comes out, you find out that she's acting completely out of grief and a need to create an idyllic world where she and Vision can live together and be happy. It's a place where her dream, where their dream of becoming a family became true. Right. And you know, when Hayward, in the episode where Hayward labels her a terrorist, you actually think, okay, I can sort of see where he's coming from. Maybe it's just he doesn't want to understand where Monica's coming from when she says, right. no, she's not. But as the, as the series goes on, you see it's very clear that he actually manipulated Wanda. He manipulated Wanda, and he ma- manipulated what Wanda Wanda's actions in order yeah. to create what he wanted to happen. Yeah, Wanda's actions are a direct result of his manipulation. Right, right. And he didn't necessarily drive her to do what she did, but he definitely made use of it. Let's put it that way. And I, I think that her grief would have probably brought her there anyway, even if he had not taken the stance he did with Vision's remains. Mm -hmm. I think that you know, she left without vision. And that that's like the most important thing that you see in that reenactment, which comes, believe it or not, out of the other villain in the story, Agatha, you know, taking Wanda and forcing her to go through the steps that brought her to where she was. It's it was like, Agatha okay, all along. It was Agatha all along. So Agatha takes her back and makes her step by step goes through it all again to find mm-hmm. out how she got to where she was and that's when we saw the reenactment of Wanda going into to sword and trying to appropriate visions remains because he deserved to be buried and because he was a sentient creature who died <laughs> you know yeah. that's what you do with sentient creatures who died he didn't donate his body to science so it made sense what she wanted, but she left without him. And up until that point, we were given to believe by Hayward that the vision that is in the town being used by Wanda to create this idyllic life is Vision's body reanimated, and it right. is not. She actually, it, we find out that she actually created him out of the mag- the chaos magic that she that she holds controls yeah right yeah so i guess for me i i was very intrigued by the way that they ran that storyline and to be honest even though agatha comes out to be kind of like the bad guy at the end of the of the series hayward is really worse than she was Hmm. because she was selfish and she was coveting the power that wanda held but her actions really throughout the thing was she was trying to wake Wanda up. And she even says that at some point. Oh, that's interesting. She was trying to gently wake Wanda up to what she was doing. And so she was manipulating events and she was doing things that were cruel, but she was attempting to, to force Wanda out of her make believe world into reality, which Wanda needed to come out of her make-believe world and into reality, so that was not necessarily a bad thing. But but I I think her motives made her the greater of the two evils. Yeah. And I, I do want to say that the greater portion here is not that much greater than Hayward. Yeah. It's not a great greater. It is a little greater than than Hayward. But I think yeah. I think Agatha was the greater of the two evils because of 
her modus operandi, which was to to drain the power from Wanda, which we, as we learn, would result in Wanda's death. Right. But that is a one-person tragedy versus a larger idea, with which is what Hayward was creating, yeah. a sentient weapon that he could then give himself power and over millions with, basically. It, but Hayward was a patriot, so... <laughs> Would he have gone on to use it for evil purposes or I don't know. (laughs) Whereas Agatha, she was, you know, she was in it for herself. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, and it sounds like you may have done a little more research on the Agatha character than I have. So I don't know exactly what her source is from the MCU. But one of the things that I, that I question that maybe you can answer is the fact that she dates back to the Salem witch trials. So she's got to be very old. Yeah. She, and- she is in the, in the comic books, uh, which I went and checked out based on this series. She's something like a thousand years old. Okay. Wow. That means she preexisted the Salem witch trials. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Far, okay. far preexisted them. Okay. So so she is a very old character. She has been and if she is evil, she's been an evil that has existed for a very long time and yet this is the first time we see her. So I would imagine that maybe in the MCU with a little more background I might see her more of a villain. Uh, I do see her as selfish and wanting power, but yeah. I don't necessarily see her in the way that I would see a villain because a villain wants to be villainous. You know, they want to gain power over people and rule people and, you know, do villainous things. And all she wants is Wanda's power. And right. Yes, it will result in Wanda's death. Then that is a tragedy. And that does make her a bad guy. But I don't see her ultimate goal as being any more than just a selfish requirement of power. While what I see Hayward doing is setting himself up to gain more of a secular power and yeah. and a more like a warlord kind of power where I have the sentient weapon that will give me that <laughs> answers to me, you know, yeah. and yeah. And you so could definitely know. see his character, you know, standing in the president's office going, no, Mr. President, I don't think I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I... I don't want to say that it's just Disney or just Marvel, but I think it's a a theme in Hollywood across the board that it seems like when you have a a head honcho villain, Mm -hmm. you know, a villain who is over um, multiple cultural aspects of a large organization, I feel like it's always – a middle-aged white guy. <laughs> I don't know if I see that to be true because I'm a middle-aged white guy. <laughs> and I want to feel persecuted. <laughs> or if it, it actually is true. And Hollywood actually wants to point the finger at imperialism or colonialism or, you know, corporate greed. And that is, and those are positions that are typically held filled throughout by white history men. you know yeah. by by you know uh, authoritative white guys cuz you look back at the MCU Netflix series and their 
villains were appropriate to the culture in which the hero story was set. Luke Cage's villains were from the community and you know, that he was, uh, that he was out of Danny Rand's villains were from the communities from which he came out of both the corporate community and, um, Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the martial arts community. It sort of falls apart when you get to Jessica Jones and I never watched the, the Punisher series. But, I'm surprised. No, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, I, I'm not a big fan of Barenthal. Is that his name? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Even I, it's extremely violent, though. I had a hard time watching it. I will admit. But uh, you know, it, when the head of Hydra was revealed, it was Robert Redford. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't get much more middle-aged white guy than him. Yeah, I just I question whether or not that's an intentional. Finger pointing on behalf of the creative decisions of the the production teams, or if it's just a nature of our existence that happens to be true because of the history of the way that racism has worked out and the patriarchy in history. West, Western culture, anyway. Yeah, Western culture, exactly. Yeah, I think it's maybe where you choose to plant your stories, too. Because, I mean, if we planted our stories in the Middle East, the villains would all have Muslim names. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I kind of agree and disagree at the same time, because I think Marvel is set in a Western culture. And in the Western culture, you know, white men do tend to hold positions of power. I'm not entirely sure that I would necessarily declare that a system of systemic racism. Yeah. More than just who who has the dedication to stick it out and rise to that level of tyranny. And it takes work to get to that, to the positions of power that a lot of these people, you know, get into. And they yeah. sacrifice a lot to get there. And not everybody in the world is capable or even wants to uh, make the sacrifices it takes to, to rise to that, that level of power. You know, if we go back to that scene where Redford is revealed as the head of Hydra, if mm -hmm. his character had been played by, say, Denzel Washington, I wouldn't have had any problem believing it. Yeah. But if his character had been played by an African-American that I did not already intensely admire, mm -hmm. I might have had trouble. Yeah, but so in, and, maybe, and in maybe the culture of Hydra, it wouldn't have made sense because uh, Hydra came point. out of yeah, it Hydra be, came out of Nazism, that. which yeah. was <laughs> definitely a tad racist. Yes, yes. So Just I mean, a little in, bit. in in the culture in which Hydra grew, you know, the the white man being the ultimate power made perfect sense because that's the racism that yeah. Nazi the Germany was. Yeah. the Aryan race was based on. So it made sense there. And in, in instances of, you know, corporations, but we have had black military generals and admirals here in the mm -hmm. United States. We've had black people of very high military link, rank, rank, let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't necessarily fall to the fact that somebody who takes over sword, I mean, sword would have been in the control of a black woman prior to Hayward. So, right. yeah, uh, Rambo. Yeah, so I, I I understand. I guess the the position that you're you're holding that you that you're seeing it, 
you know, mm-hmm. that in a lot of senses in the position, the place, the location, the time frame or whatever, it makes sense for yeah. that person to be a villain. And that's not to say that I'm, that I'm not actually sensitive to it because yeah. I share the demographic. Right. But it does make sense. Right. Uh, but then how do we fix that, that perception? preconception? Yeah. Yeah. It's but, And I don't have the answer to that one. No. And I don't know that as long as we have identity politics, and I think this kind of falls back into Marvel as well, because I think we discussed it when I got in trouble for some of the comments I made for our, the first Spider-Man movie about, you know, the, I, that I felt like oh, they the, were... The high school makeup, yeah. Yeah, the the high school makeup was was intentionally trying to play to identity politics. And I don't think it's racist of me to, to comment on that. You know, it's like, hey, we've got to have our, you know, Asian character and we have to have our African-American character and we have to have our gay character. We, it's just like we've become so... You got check boxes you've got to you check got off. Check boxes, yeah. And, and when it becomes so obvious that you're checking boxes that people are thrown out of the story by the fact that you've checked all those boxes, mm-hmm. it, it's identity politics. It's driving everything now. And so that does make us all hypersensitive about seeing wh- who we are represented by in a story. It used to be you watched a story and you simply identified with the character that was the lead character. You know, yeah. the, this this person is the lead character. I identify with them. But now, now what, what happens if you pitch us a, a sitcom that doesn't have a gay character, an LGBT character. Or a black it w- character. It would never or fly. Or an Asian character. Yeah. 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 So I guess what I'm saying is, is that you're being sensitive to that is because our culture is making us sensitive to that. It used to be, yeah. you wouldn't be worried about whether the villain was a white guy because there were other white guys in the story that were not villains. But now it's like it, we're, we're being programmed to see what identity everybody represents so that we're now being hypersensitized to it. And so yeah. I think, I think that that is, it's just a, it's a reaction that we can't control until we do away with identity politics, where we, we quit worrying about whether we identify with somebody because of their race or gender or lack thereof. Here's to hoping it's just a phase. Yeah. <laughs> Because we're becoming also hypersensitive about it, that it's actually becoming a negative instead of a positive. And uh, it's like, well, they they didn't cast the black woman as the hero in this, or they didn't cast the, you know, the, the white guy is always the villain or, you know, whatever that is. I mean, there were lots of white guys in this show. There were also lots of other. Were there? Uh, yeah. Paul well, Bettany. I, uh, well, played Vision, who was arguably not a white or guy. Yeah, well, white or guy or human. Because Jimmy Woo was a good guy, but he's Asian. And they had the, the Indian that was his kind of like sidekick guy. In yeah. the, uh, and, and then the, the black next guy door was neighbor. the neighbor, was black. And um. The delivery guy was a middle-aged white guy, but guy. I mean, he's just the messenger. To this day, I'm still convinced he was <laughs> questionable. <laughs> he was just the messenger. <laughs> Don't shoot him. Um, <laughs> what other? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, they did tick all the boxes in this. I mean, if, yeah. if you think about, 
And I actually even thought about this when Monica suddenly appeared in, you know, the storyline of the sitcoms, mm-hmm. that in the context of the 50s and 60s environment of that sitcom, she did stand out, you know, because they would not have put a black person in that role in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. That is a a, a telling a, thing. A flag. Yeah. yeah, a flag. Not only that this was not authentic 50s, 60s, which we already knew, but it's a telling thing about the culture back then that they would have not cast an, an Indian, you know, or a black person, you know, into those mm-hmm. roles. And the stories would have been less for that, you know, that they weren't completely representative of a, of a true uh, American town and the diversity that exists there. But, you know, that, that was them ticking all of those boxes. And that was the anachronism I thought that was raised in the Spider-Man movie. But then I was corrected by you. And I say me a culpa and, and I'm definitely willing to revise my opinion. The fact that Queens now is a very diverse culture and yeah. that there are a lot of different people there. Then when the Peter Parker character was originally created, it was probably a more white versus black, you know, generic feel that there wouldn't have been mm-hmm. all of the Asians and Indians and, and what have you in that culture. But I have never been to New York City, so I can't speak to the diversity of the individual neighborhoods and boroughs of New York. And, you know, shortly after we recorded that episode, I read an interesting article. It was about how... They were racist just by making Peter Parker white. <laughs> and, you know, on the top level, I, I wrote it off because Peter Parker has always been white. Right. But the point that he made, and I think he made it well, if a little bit too vehemently, mm-hmm. is that there is no element of his character that requires him to be of a specific ethnicity. And they go on to show that with Miles. Morales. Morales, thank you. And and the guy acknowledged that, but he said, there's no reason we can't make Peter Parker, you know, black. Except Peter Parker is a very American white name. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, he and, you know, he's been portrayed that way since his inception in, and, and you know what, what, the I 60s? I don't think there's anything wrong with Peter Parker being white. I mean, I, the, I don't either. The whole concept of saying, well, he could have been another race. It's like, yeah, but there so could have Batman or any of the other. I mean, it's, it's just the way they were created. Yeah. And I don't know that there's, you know, we don't have to overcorrect the other direction where none of the superheroes are white. Let's make them all Asian, black and Arabic or whatever. I mean, let, uh, let's not completely undo it all just for the sake of diversity right it just for the sake of diversity but if yeah. there's a reason i i mean if if the actor is a better choice for it i say go for it and yeah. that actually was hammered home for me recently when amazon prime announced a new series senator on the character from tom clancy fame from the uh the Rainbow Six series of books that tie into the Hunt for Red October and and all those. They've been doing a series with John Krasowski from The Office with him as Jack Ryan that I have really enjoyed. But then they they came out with this spinoff series, or not even a spinoff because, you know, it's just a, tied into the same universe. 
and the main character is being played by um Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, thank you. And my first response was that, that can't be right. <laughs> this character's not black. But, you know, the more I thought about it and remembered that article that that talked about Peter Parker and his ethnicity, I was like, okay, so why can't he be black? Yeah. There's no reason. And as a matter of fact, it might even play in better to his character traits and make more sense. So I feel like there are appropriate times to do it and that we may resist those appropriate times just out of our own sensitivities and biases. But I feel like at least that I'm finding myself a little more open to it. And I hope that is a step in the right direction to addressing what, you know, what is a definitive trait of my upbringing. You know, (laughs) my experiences growing up, African-American families that I knew were always economically very hard put. They Mm -hmm. were always in poverty or just above poverty because my exposure was through missions work with my grandparents. Yeah. So even though it was a good thing for me to do as a child, it still ended up forming a preconception that as I grew, I applied to black families, you know, across the board. And that makes it easier for me to sin in that way. And, uh, it's a sin that I have to be able to to address because that's not very loving to assume, you right. know, that everyone is that way. Yeah, I think that that goes across the board. I mean, making assumptions about anybody based on just the, their skin color as, as yeah. one attribute is I wouldn't necessarily call it racism, but I think that it is wrong on every level no matter which direction you're going. So, you yeah. know, all the people out there who are saying, you know, that white people are racist just because they're white, it's the same preconception exactly. that is inaccurate. It's like, yeah, let's racism quit, let's, does, it goes both ways. No question. Let's quit making generalizations about individuals based on their their group context and start dealing with people on as as individuals, you know, as you know, the product of their environment, the product of their upbringing, their skin shade should be the very last thing that we thought, think about and and quit making assumptions about people. And we've gone way off topic, but I think this is an important discussion. I was in discussion with somebody who made the comment, you know, that do you cross to the other side of the road when you see a black man walking down, you know, in your neighborhood? And I actually live in a very diverse neighborhood. I have Asians of various origins and black people and white people all living in in a very lower middle class neighborhood. And I walk in my neighborhood. And right now, I do cross to the other side of the road when I see anybody approaching me because of COVID. I figure it's something I started doing a year ago when COVID first hit. You know, we we all kind of we meet eyes and we go, who's moving? You know, (laughs) who's going to cross? So it's um, a game of COVID chicken. Yeah, it's a game of COVID chicken. So uh, and and it was interesting because this discussion had come out last summer after COVID was already a thing. And so I was like, um, well, yeah, actually, I do cross, but it has nothing to do with the fact that he's black. It's because he's another person approaching me on the streets. (laughs) 
but yeah, you know, the, this whole concept that we make judgment calls based on, you know, the what people look like. And I think I am a lot more likely to avoid somebody who is dressed poorly than, you know, the con- the color of their right. skin, the shade of their skin. So I, I judge people more on their, their clothing and demeanor than their shade of skin. So if it's a black person who's dressed in a suit and tie walking down the street, I wouldn't give them a second look if I'm alone. Cause I'm a single lady. Usually I'm yeah. usually alone when I'm, when I'm wondering about, but if they're in, you know, a hoodie or, you know, acting like they're sneaking or not necessarily, you know, there for the right reasons, I don't care what color their skin is. If, I'm going to avoid them because they are acting weird, you know, or untrustworthy. So I try not to make judge call, judgment calls based on people's skin color, but that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that it doesn't happen. I'm just yeah. saying that we should be as people more open to more values than just the shade of skin. Yeah. And, uh, but we can leave that discussion and, We've gone really long. So I think what we'll do is we're going to end this episode and come back and actually talk about the themes <laughs> in WandaVision because we haven't actually talked about any of the themes yet. We'll get, we'll get to the moral of the stories. Yeah, we need to get to the moral of the stories. So if you have any input about this particular episode or WandaVision in general, we do strongly encourage you to come join our group on Facebook. You can get to it quickly by going to areyoujustwatching.com slash community, and that'll take you directly to the group in Facebook that you can join. And it's, you just answer three questions and you're automatically in as long as you answer all three questions. If you don't answer all three questions, then it gets ported to us to ask us if we want to let you in. And we do get a fair number of bots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, please go ahead and answer all three questions to get in. Just be glad we don't make you choose the stoplights in the picture. Because I always <laughs> fail those. I know. I do too. <laughs> or the crosswalks or the... <laughs> Or the bicycles. Oh, yeah. It's, does that count as a bicycle? I don't know. It's, it's a scooter. Does that count? I, oh. <laughs> uh, object uh, identification is not strong for us. <laughs> <laughs> you can also comment on our show notes, which will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 114. You can call us at 513-818-2959 and leave us a voicemail, or you can email feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. We do thank our steady supporters, Isaiah Santiano, Craig Hardy, Stephen Brown II, and David Lefton, and Peter Chapman for their monthly support. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash watching and signing up for a small monthly gift that will help us continue to produce this podcast. We don't have advertisements. Uh, This is our only means of support. So we would appreciate it. We do ask that you subscribe to our podcast at one of the many outlets for, so that you don't miss any episodes. We're on all of the major ones. So many of them. Yeah. It would, it would, be worthless to list them all. Uh, if, if you are given the option to rate and review us, we do ask that you do that. And if you are on Facebook or MeWe or uh, Parlay or uh, Twitter or any of them, you know, <laughs> uh, feel free to share our episodes so that more people see it, just so that we broaden our audience because we really appreciate that. And you can follow me on Twitter, though I am not actively tweeting. Uh, at Eve Franklin. 
And I am on Twitter at Rencheple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E. And you can find us on Facebook. And if there are any other platforms you'd like to find us on, please let us know. And I will explore said places. So, all right. So join us for the next episode. We're going to continue our discussion on WandaVision. Who knew we had so much to talk about? (laughs) <laughs> but it is a nine episodes. That would makes it what? It's slightly less than nine hours. So it is uh, a lot to, of content to talk about. So we will be back. I'm E. Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. And don't just watch. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at ChristianPodcastCommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.org.